listeners, Jonathan Walsh here, and welcome once again to another episode of Don the Stat. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dean Hume. Hume, how's things, mate? Another week down. Uh, yep, that's three weeks well? of three weeks of term down and, and seven weeks to go, and it's non-teachers probably rolling their eyes at at that, but it's uh, it can be a bit of a, a grind at times, and it, it was a bit this week. How about yourself? What have you been up to? Uh, yeah, mate, I've had a good week. It's been busy. Um, I, as you know, I've um, I, Elon's locked me out of Twitter for a couple of days, but I'm, I'm pleased to just before we we jumped on air, I've I've been let back in. But uh, I've had the most productive two days of work that I've had in a long, long time, not being able to to jump on Twitter. And I actually got to sort of lunchtime today and wasn't sure what to do with myself. So, uh, yeah, no, I've had I've had a good week. Introduced myself to some uh, work colleagues I didn't realise were still there, and. Uh, and yeah, got a lot done. But no, I'm good, mate. Had a good week and, and enjoying the warm weather. Actually, that's all right. Well, people people were missing you on Twitter I, when I posted that you were locked out. There was a a big outcry, and I think people will be glad to have you back on that site. Yeah, no, that that was nice to see. Thank you, mate. It's nice to be it's nice to be wanted. That's it. And speaking of uh, great responses, we had a great response to Liam's episode on advanced analytics. Really thank him for joining us and explaining some pretty complex ideas. I think the biggest thing I took out of it, and it wasn't something I expected to hear about going in, was the idea of the pressure gauge. I think we've all seen the pressure gauge on Fox footy and not really had a good idea of what it involves. I don't, I don't think they've done a very good job of explaining what it is other than higher number equals more pressure. Uh, so the fact that we got such context for that gauge uh, makes me trust it more as a reliable indicator, more so than what Fox Sports has been providing. So I'll be taking more of an interest in that as the season goes on. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, Matt. I thought you and Liam did a great job. Uh, I'm obviously a stats nerd and, and have been forever and a day, but I think you both did a good job of explaining some of those more complex uh, you know, data points to to everyone to to help understand where the game's going when it comes to data and, and analytics so i loved it and it's uh it's moved into my dad's top three don the stat uh episodes that he's listened to and once again because i wasn't in it so uh yeah you've you found yourself a real fan there mate well always always glad to hear positive feedback on that uh we're recording pretty late this week i think we originally planned to record monday and then it's come to friday and it's kind of worked out well in a sense because we obviously got the news today that dyson heppel was standing down as captain after six years and 107 games in that role i think the, the biggest thing to say it was a thankless role a club that was that was often in turmoil coming out of a major turmoil but he was one constant you know he had three co- two or three coaches through that period a, a high variety of high news incidents, uh, you know, constant criticism of the team, constant criticism of his coaches. And the one thing you can say about him is that he never complained and he always stood up and represented the club with grace and passion, especially considering he had big shoes to fill coming after Joe Watson and, and obviously Brendan Goddard in the top-ups here. I think the things that really stood out to me is the fact that you could tell how much of a leader he was from his aftermatch talks. They they released the aftermatch talk following the 2021 heartbreak loss to the Swans and then following the elimination final loss to the Dogs. And you could really see why the players really respected him and really wanted to follow him as, as captain there. I guess, you know, another thing that really stood out to me was when he, in the middle of a poor start to 2022, he was willing to go on the couch and, and really face a grilling from the experts on that show. It just really showed the quality of leader and human that he was, that he was going to stand out in front of his players and take that criticism for them. Um, I just really want to say thanks for what you've given to this club. I, I, you know, I think it's pretty fair to say you didn't deserve a lot of what's happened to you in your career over your time. But I think as, as fans, we really just appreciate what you've done as a leader and, and how you've represented this club. Yeah, well said, mate. I think it got lost in the turmoil that that was 2022 that, uh, you know, he did start the season playing as a lockdown small defender on some really small and agile forwards. And, and that's never been his game. And I think it's a credit to him that he, as a leader, he went back and did that and, and didn't seem to complain about it. Uh, it you know, he was, he was put in that position, um, you know, through, I assume no choice of his own and, and, and went and did it to the best of his ability, which, you know, granted wasn't, uh, wasn't the result that we would have liked to have seen, but uh 
Yeah, I think the other thing that got lost in a lot of what happened last year was his pregame speech before the 150th celebration game against Carlton. That really stood out to me. I think it was a side many of us haven't seen of him before because we're not privy to what happens behind closed doors and it's as close as we'll probably get to seeing Dyson Heppel, the the captain and the leader and how he, he speaks to his troops. And I remember Matthew Lloyd saying in the aftermath that he was ready to pull the, the boots on and, and go and play for Dyson off the back of how he... He spoke before that game, and and given that that's not just a, a pre-match, any pre-match speak, it's not just a another home and away game against Carlton, but it was really about embracing the values and the history of the Essendon Football Club. Uh, I think for Lordy to say that as someone who's been captained by you know great Essendon captains in Gary O'Donnell and James Hurd is a is a real credit to to Dyson and and how he's able to inspire the people around him. The other thing I I really took out of the the video announcement today and, and well done to the club on getting that out really quickly was the the look on the faces of of his players or or, or his teammates. They, they were all paying absolute attention. Andy McGrath, if you if you want to go back and have a look at it, like he he seemed to be genuinely shattered and devastated that that Dyson was stepping down. So I think whatever the external perception of Dyson's been uh, as a leader, I think it certainly seems that he's got the admiration and respect of his players and, and that's no easy thing to do. And and unfortunately, you don't get to choose the era that you land at a club or, or that you lead through. Uh, he was brave enough to put his hand up and go and do it and try and lead us through troubled waters. And and he was... The thing I liked was... I know it rubbed up some people the wrong way, but he was true to himself the the whole way through. Like you, If you're not James Hurd, you can't be James Hurd, right? He, he just tried to be and, and continues to try and be the best Dyson Heppel. So... Yeah, I think you're right. Given what the tug, the club took away from him, he's someone who's given Essendon more than Essendon has given him. And um, yeah, I, 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 I yeah, have a, a great deal of respect for him. And I really hope he, without the weight of that on his shoulders, he can come out and have a really big 2023 and play a big role. And if it's his last year or, or not, I think he's still got some good footy. And, and I hope we get to see um, see that. And, and you know, perhaps he gets the chance to silence some doubters as well. Absolutely. It's really pleasing to hear a lot of the talk that he's he's running better than he has in, in a few years from from the training watchers like Rick and, and Charlie. And yeah, as you say, like he's someone who really deserves some good luck and some good success there. So hopefully he gets it. Well, we're going to move on to what's now becoming a bit of a regular segment in the off season, which is our media watch. And especially since you've been off Twitter, you haven't had a, an outlet to discuss some of the articles and ideas that are being presented. So this is going to be your opportunity to get a lot of that off your chest uh, that was sort of pent up while you or Elon locked you out of Twitter. Uh, so the first one comes from the Jake Nile article in The Age yesterday. Uh, other than other than I think point two, which was about new roles for, for certain players, which if you were watching Essendon last year, they were the roles that those players were actually in during the second half of 2022. It was a really good read and gave a really good insight into how things seem to be going. Uh, what was your takeaways from that article? Yeah, I, I really liked it. I, I, yeah, Jake Niles, one of the, the f- well, not the few, I think that's probably a little bit unfair, but but one of those in the media who, whilst I don't always agree with him, at least he provides really good balance. He, he's he's not there to, to sort of drive clicks or sensationalise things. So, yeah, I liked it. Um, I think the things that I took away from it was he mentioned that the players have a little bit of trepidation towards Brad Scott. So it sounds like there's a little bit of healthy fear of him and that's really, you know, driving their standards at training and and, and improving their levels of effort. It sounds like the the playing group are really trying to impress him. And and I guess that's what, that's what comes with a, a, a guy as a player who's been there, done that one flags in a really good team and known for being, you know, tough and, and ruthless with how he went about his footy. And then obviously spent 10 years as a coach and, and got a, a, a list that, that wasn't, you know, all that great for the most part into a couple of prelims. Uh, there was a mention that we're going to look to play a, a front half turnover game, which was real music to my ears. So, uh, you know, we, it's hard to unpick what our defensive setup was last year, and there's probably no point really going through it again. But uh, I think to to kind of summarise it, I, I think what we were trying to do is play a high press without involving our front six and trying to keep our front six in our forward line. And, and what it really meant was we had this over-reliance in our midfielders, no pressure from behind as the ball was coming out, and it just kind of collapsed. So I'm really pleased to see that that there's a real emphasis on that front half turnover game and keeping the ball inside 50 and, and getting repeat entries. 
as you mentioned, the new roles for Heppel, Caldwell and McGrath that he mentioned aren't really new roles. I think most Dons fans would realise those things happened throughout parts of last year. Uh, the other couple of bits that I, I picked up that I like, Peter Blanche is back at the club. He was the head physio at Essendon in 2016, so he'll be somewhat familiar with the place and, and to a couple of the players at least, not that there's that many left from, from that season. Uh, in fact, there's probably none left because the ones that are, uh, Heppel's probably the, the only one on the list and, and he wasn't there that year. But um, but anyway, he's also worked in in cricket and swimming. Uh, he's been at the Lions for the last seven years and, and he's in as a, a consultant, it seems, to overlook our fitness and sports science areas, which have been a challenge. So it's good to see that, you know, we've we've bolstered, we're starting to bolster and review that part of our club to to try and make that better. And then the other bit, which, which was news to me, I don't know whether it's been announced or, or it might not be news to others, but Natalie Wood, who's our AFLW coach, will be working with our men's program as well in player development. So, you know, we're, we've spoken about the growth in that area before, but it really does seem that we're throwing everything we possibly can to develop our players as quickly as we possibly can. And, and that's another good uh, feather in the cap in that area. Absolutely. And then sort of following on from that, you talked about one person who is a really good contributor in the AFL space. And we're going to go to the other extreme and talk about the volcano, Kane Corns. And, you know, he's had a couple of comments this week and one on Jake Stringer really caught your eye. Yeah, you made me promise that if we brought this up, we would embargo Cat Corns from this show for the foreseeable future. So I'm more than okay. I, I promise you, Humi, and everybody listening that this this will be the last time we speak about Cat Corns for a while. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to pick up a point on Jake Stringer that I think gets overlooked. And this isn't me making excuses because seemingly over his time at Essendon and before that, he's had issues off the field where he hasn't. Um, he hasn't focused on his footy, he hasn't got himself fit enough and, and hasn't, you know, been at the standards that have been required of him. I think what we do need to accept, though, is that he is always going to be a player that's going to have issues with his body and, and have injuries. And that happened off the back of his under-18 years. So if you're not someone who, you know, suffers too badly from looking at, at gruesome photos, go and Google Jake Stringer under-18 injury or Bendigo Pioneers injury. And have a look at the photos of, of the state of his leg. It, it's sort of reminiscent of the Nathan Brown injury that that a lot of people will remember. Uh, and that's plagued him all the way through his career. He had to change the way he walks, the way he runs, the, you know, er, everything that he's done. It's why you see him, you know, run like he's got a pole up. He's proverbial because he just hasn't been able to ever get his gait back to what it should have been. Uh, so, yeah, I, I guess I, I just want to – I think that it, it's useful – context for for some of the challenges that Jake has in in getting his body right and um and being able to to play senior footy and and I think because of that we you know he's never going to be an elite level runner or the uh, the epitome of athletic fitness because I don't think his legs ever going to allow him to be yeah and I think just add further context uh as I'm currently experiencing this myself as the parent of young children you lose a bit of extra time to to maintain a high level body um, as the spare tire that's currently growing around my waist uh, can testify for. So yeah, that probably also contributes to that as well. The final story we want to talk about is the Zach Merritt interview that appeared on Fox sports. I think yesterday, uh, this is another one where Kane Corns just had to comment about hearing too much from Essendon uh, again, as he said, after today, Kane Corns is on embargo. Uh, what was your takeaways from the Zach Merritt interview? Yeah, I think there's been a little bit of resentment that people have taken an impression that he's blamed Ben Rutten for what happened last year and, and that he hasn't taken any self-accountability. And I, I I didn't read it that way. Uh, I, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, until we hit round one and, and we get the first game under our belt, the first question from most journos when they speak to an Essendon player is going to be what's the difference between Ben Rutten and Brad Scott and what's changed from this year to last year. We as fans have a natural curiosity about it. The media does. They're going to ask the question. Players are going to have to answer it. I thought he was respectful in how he handled it. I, I don't think he he singled out Ben Rutten. In fact, his words were Ben Rutten and the coaches, uh, you know, whether that was uh, he made a point to to not single him out or, or it was just natural inflection. I'm not too sure, but I, I think he... You know, I certainly didn't see him singling out Ben Rutten there. 
And then he just pointed out the differences. He didn't say that Rutten was bad and Scott's good. He just said that there are differences in how we're going about things. And then the standout to me, though, was where he actually did take real accountability. He said that he wants to make himself the best defensive player in the team. And I think when Zach is at his absolute best, you see him hunting the opposition mids and really tackling and 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 you know, attacking the opposition mid with the ball with repeat efforts. So if we see more of that this year and, and that's where his mindset's at uh, and, you know, it sounds like he's gone and got himself fitter and stronger and, and changed his program, I'm really excited about what we're going to see from Zach this year. And, and I think that is a real sign that he's taking accountability for himself and, and doing everything that he can to, to rise us up the ladder. Yeah, agreed. And I think it was pointed out, on Twitter by a friend of the show, Todd Davey, that he's already one of the highest ranked midfielders, you know, by champion data stat status at eighth. And that's before, hopefully, as he, as he says, he's wanting to make himself the best defensive midfielder in the league. So if he can add that to his current game, then, you know, the sky's the limit for him. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, he's won three best and fairest. I know they, they haven't been in in the best sides. But, again, that's not on him. He can only do what he can do. He was second last year. If he elevates himself again this year and, and is to win a fourth, and he's I don't think he's turned 27 or he's about to turn 27, but if he was to win four, to put that in context, Tim Watson and Simon Madden, two of the greats of the club, Simon Madden, arguably the greatest ruckman of all time, they won four. James Hurd, you know, greatest of the modern era, won five. And then Dick Reynolds and Bill Hutchison, two of the all-time greats of the competition are ahead of him on seven. So, you know, on, on three, he's already in rare air, you know, with Joe Watson and Graham Moss and Barry Davis and a couple of others to, to get to four um, and potentially even five. He's, he's going up into an echelon that very, very few Essendon players have been in. And again, if he if he does that, given his brown his Brownlow vote winning capability, you know, I don't think a Brownlow is an impossibility either. I think we're probably getting a bit ahead of ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've, we've, talk, we've, we've talked him up into a Brownlow chance. Bet, there, so. bet responsibly. Absolutely. All right. Well, look, the main reason why we're doing the show tonight is to talk about what we see as our best 22 come round one. Now, we started talking about this back in December last year, and you put together a, a quite a nice spreadsheet that allowed us to make our selections there. And we did it on Google Sheets, so luckily we could track the edits. So, what I've done is I've gone back firstly and, and gone to our original sides from, that we posted in December. And it's interesting to think about where we were there and what's changed since then. So we'll start with your team. How did you go about selecting this side and what changes have you made since the last time we talk, talked about this? Yeah, I've I've done this as an exercise to pick a team for round one to play against Hawthorne rather than just looking at this as a best 22 or a best 23. I, I don't think we have a best 22. I don't think we have 22 players that pick themselves. I think we've probably got six, eight, ten that, that do that, you know, barring injury and form. Uh, and then the rest is sort of up for grabs depending on opposition and, and form at the time and, and rotating young players through and, and providing development opportunities and and all of those kind of things. So, uh, you know, I, I've really treated this as a, with everything that we know at the moment about how preseason's gone, the the, the health of the list, who's fit, who's not, uh, and and what Hawthorne look like uh, is how I've attacked it. And I guess it's hard to do this without talking a little bit about Hawthorne first. Obviously, we'll have a, a round one show that will go into a lot more detail. Uh, but, yeah, we had that big win against them last year when we came from behind, making, you know, five or six late changes due to illness. And since then, a lot has changed for both clubs, really. Uh, in our case, it's been off-field. In their case, it's it's been off-field. Oh, sorry, on-field. Uh, Tom Mitchell, Jay Garamira, Liam Sheil and, and Jack Gunston, uh, uh, as real senior and experienced players, have all found new clubs. Ben McAvoy, who was their captain and, and number one ruckman, not that he played all that much last year, but he's retired. Daniel Howe and, and Tom Phillips, who's you know Tom Phillips is now on our VFL list. You know both experienced, you know relative levels of experience, and they've both been delisted and, and are out the door. And then they haven't bought a hell of a lot of experience back in. Carl Amon came as a free agent from Port and had some you know real run and outside running class to their midfield. Lloyd Meek uh, as a 24-year-old ruckman who's come across from Frio. And then Cooper Stevens is the other one, played seven games for the Cats last year. And, and you know, he's still a kid himself. He's only 21. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think when when we did this, I don't think our, back in December, I don't think everyone was back for preseason. I, I think there was still some some to come back. So 
when I picked the side, Mitch Lewis was was fit for them and and their big key forward, and um, he's since done a knee injury and, and is unlikely to play until sort of round seven or eight. We already knew that their midfield was going to be young, but it sounds like Cam McKenzie, their their first pick, pick seven in the the most recent draft, is having a really good season and is probably going to play round one. And I also had Zach Reed in mind, along with Sardis on a wing and Hobbs in the midfield. Um, sort of, you know, Reed opportunity is to play as a tall defender against, you know, a relatively young Hawthorne forward line. And then Sardis and Hobbs as young midfielders to play against a young midfield was was my thinking. So I had them in. And then I had Guelphie and, and Langford in my forward line. And and since since then, you know, those five have come out for various reasons, which we'll go into. Uh, and I... I didn't have Stringer and Jones in my thinking at, at that time. And, and obviously their recent form and fitness has improved a hell of a lot. So, um, so yeah, so they're, they're the changes that I've made in terms of, you know, the, the outs from December. Well, in terms of my original side, the four players who have gone out, are Guelphie, Hobbs, Phillips, and Cox, and I'll talk a bit about them as we go through the teams, but my approach to, the game coming up was given that Hawthorne have lost so much experience is not to worry so much about what they're doing. Uh, they've traded obviously their best two clearance players in Mitchell and O'Meara from last year and their second top goal kicker in Gunston while their top goal kicker in Lewis will be unavailable. So for me, what that means is they'll be relying on a lot more newer, less well-known players. And so therefore I've taken the approach that I'm going to pick what I consider to be our best 22 available players or 23 with the sub and then having them react to us. I think at this stage, we have more talent in our best 22 and the focus will be on us finding ways to avoid being starved of our strengths by the Hawks. Uh, we also have to remember this is a milestone game for them as they are treating it as their 40th anniversary of the 83 flag. So despite the perception that's out there that Hawthorne are tanking the year in order to gain access to Harley Reid, you can bet they'll be desperate to win this game. And so from my point of view, hopefully the result reminds them more of 85 rather than 83. Yeah, that would be nice, mate. It'd be great to get off to a flyer. Uh, I'm I'm not at all comfortable going into a game with expectations of winning. Uh, I, I I do worry about that, but yeah, we've still got a, a few weeks to go before we we get there. But yeah, as you mentioned, or we both mentioned, they had some players that have walked out the door for various reasons. They had four players kick over um, 20 goals last year, Bruce with 40, Mitch Lewis with 37, Gunston 32, and Dylan Moore 26. So when putting together my back six, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking about the makeup of their forward line. Gunston's obviously now at the lines and, and Lewis is injured. So Kajitski will be there their key focal point up forward, I expect. And and I think they'll play one of Meek, Lynch or Reeves, who are the three Ruckman uh, on their list as a, as a forward. Cause that I expect they're going to need to, they've got some, some younger players, key forwards on their list, but I, I think they'll go with a bigger body. Uh, I think this is a game with that said that we can get away with having Laverde play as a bit more of a medium defender and take that match up on Bruce. You know, Bruce likes to play deep. He, he pretty much plays more as a leading key forward anyway. Um, albeit he's good on the ground, and, but I think Laverde's the big matchup. So Laverde's a lock. Zerk Thatcher takes Kaczynski. I, I don't think 12 months ago we would have imagined that Zerk Thatcher was one of our, our first pick key defenders, but sounds like he's backed it, he's up, his form up from last year and, and had a really good preseason. And then I've got Ridley as my third tall, playing on that Ruckman come tall forward and and being able to use his smarts to, to drop off them and, and intercept. I've got my McGrath as my lockdown small playing on, you know, more or wing guard. You know, they're their most dangerous smaller forwards. They'll, they'll rotate through their midfield as well and, and play forward. And then I've gone with Redmond and Hind as my two other defenders in my my back six. I, I guess the standout there or the standout that's not there is is Jake Kelly. I, I've left him out on on balance. Uh, nothing to do with, with form, I think, just because of the makeup of Hawthorne and, and you know, Laverde on that Bruce matchup, I think that works, uh, you know, but Kelly could easily come in and do that job. But ultimately, I wanted to get Hind in the side for that run. I think they're a team that was pretty poor in tackling inside their forward 50 last year, uh, you know, much like us. So I think Hind can really give us some impetus there coming out of halfback. You've gone something pretty similar, mate, with your your back six. We've got one difference, really. What's your thinking there? Yeah, so obviously the players that are the same are Laverty, Zerk Thatcher, McGrath, Ridley, and Redmond. And my difference is that I've gone with D'Ambrosio instead of Hind. And the main reason for me is we have to make a decision about how we want to move the ball. 
And from the sounds of it, it sounds like that Brad Scott is emphasising kicking as the method of moving the ball based on what we're hearing in terms of reports from training. And so to me, I know that it, it, as Liam, who I spoke to last week, sort of hinted on Twitter, Nick Hind is actually one of the most effective kicks in the AFL. What I find, though, is from the sample size that we saw of Massimo last year, he has a far more higher level of creativity with his kick. And too often we were reliant on foot speed to move the ball out of the back half with with players like Hind. So I think Massimo's skill level, his foot, allows more effectively to penetrate uh, the zone defences on a consistent basis. Uh, I think also given that we have McGrath back there and Redmond who both provide good run, obviously not to quite as high a standard as Hind does, I think we still have that run from the back line plus adding the quality of D'Ambrosio's kicking gives us a little bit of a multiple way, multiple ways of moving that ball out of the back line. And just on Kelly, uh, I also obviously didn't have him there. Uh, it is pleasing to hear that they, the development coaches have been working on his speed of ball movement. That's probably the big thing that is letting him down at this stage in terms of getting into the back six. If he's able to do that, then he does come into more of a consideration there. And again, from the sounds of it, it does seem like he is someone that the coaches are considering if you look at who they're picking as their back six in the probably what would be considered to be the main side in the scratch matches that they're having at the moment. Yeah, I think the key point is we're treating this exercise as if it was you and I picking the team. It's not a, a an assumption or a guesswork at what the coaches might do. Uh, and, yeah, I, I think, you know, I'm a big fan of Massimo and, you know, I've been pretty clear with that. He's someone I, I just love and I'm really excited about what he's going to be able to do for us. But And I had a hard time like you did by the sounds of it, you know, making that decision over foot skills versus pace. I'm a little bit keen to see what Hine can do in a team that's going to have better defensive structure ahead of him. And so that was really the reason that I went and, and, and gave him first crack. He's, he's a little bit more experienced. Uh, he does have that point of difference with speed and, and run. Uh, I don't think his kicking is is all that bad if if we play a bit. He he's clearly doesn't have the penetration and the vision that Mass. Ambrosio has, but I, I think I still think he's a he's a he's a decent kick, um, and I, yeah, I just want to see what he might be able to do, whether he can elevate his game and, and even just get back to twenty twenty one form. Really, in a team that's uh, got a little bit more emphasis on on defending forward of the footy, so that was what tipped me over. But onto the the midfield, as we've we've both mentioned, Mitchell and O'Meara are gone. They were their top two for clearances, both in center clearances and a stoppage clearance. Mitchell was number one for disposals. O'Meara was fourth. O'Meara was also their number one mid at going inside 50. So they've really lost a lot of their real key drivers and ball winners uh, from last year. So I think a lot will now fall on Jay Newcomb, who had his breakout season last year and um, yeah, had a, had a brilliant season really. Uh, Connor Nash is one that I think we need to keep a little bit of a watch on. He's 197 centimetres and, and 94 kilograms. Um, and he just got better throughout last year. And, and I don't think we should underestimate him. And then Josh Ward was there. I think he was their first pick in 2021 from memory. And I think we can expect him to see a little bit more midfield time. He's a, a really classy footballer. And then they've got the likes of Warple, who, you know, has been up and down, but, but you know, gets an opportunity to step up again. Wingard and Moore will go through their midfield and, and Finn McGuinness, another one of their young players, is, is another one that we might see through there. So, you know, I think despite what they've lost, they still do have some good contested ball winners. They've got a good spread of mids that are happy to get their hands dirty and, and, and you know, scrap it out despite, and despite their lack of experience and the fact that they were 18th for clearance differential last year and 15th for both contested and uncontested ball differential. They still have some size and and, and some depth in, in numbers through their midfield. So with all that in mind, uh, my midfield for round one, I've got Draper as the Ruckman. He he picks himself. I'm starting Setterfield in the midfield. I, I think with that Connor Nash in there as that big, tall mid, I, I expect they're going to try and use him to really create some space around clearance. And I think Setterfield can have an important role to play there and, and go size for size. I also think it gives him a chance to come into a, a team and get some real confidence and, and get some minutes and form under his belt. And, and I just feel he's a guy that if he got a good game under his belt in round one, it could really set up his season. I've then got 
Uh, Caldwell to go head to head with Newcomb, who's who's their best midfielder, and then uh, Dylan Shield is that dynamic, you know, burst midfield to sort of give that midfield some real balance. That combination of size, contested ball ability, defensive work that we know Caldwell's become really good at, but we also know he can get you going forward, and then Shield's that really dynamic one uh, in there in the starting mix. And then no surprises on the wing, really. I've got um, Durham and Martin. They've both had big pre-seasons. They both seem to be a lot fitter and stronger. Uh, and they'll need to be against, you know, the likes of Wingard and, and Amon on the outside. So, um, yeah, and, and hopefully we see them improve their defensive running and ability to get back and intercept and, and then also get forward as well. So, uh, so yeah, so that's my midfield, mate. You... I've only got the one difference, I, I think, in, in your starting midfield. Uh, what was your thinking there? So I think it comes down to our philosophies about picking this side. You, Your focus seems to be a lot on negating Hawthorne's strengths, whereas I'm coming from it that Hawthorne needs to be worried about our strengths. And particularly when it comes to centre clearance, this is an area where we have shown to be quite strong. You know, obviously, we're not quite at the level of the Bulldogs there, which is the benchmark in terms of centre clearance, but it's it's an area that we, we constantly win and constantly get an advantage from. So, f- to me, we should be trying to press that advantage as much as possible, which is why I have our two best centre clearance midfielders in Dylan Shield and Darcy Parrish starting along with Will Setterfield. I think the mix that we often saw last year of, of Shield, Parrish and Merritt is too attacking and we do need to have that defensive option. I've gone with Setterfield as a broad defensive option there, but I think the big thing that we have to consider is that Hawthorne, if they have both Dylan Shield and Darcy Parrish there, that's two people they have to worry about. If it's just Dylan Shield or it's just Darcy Parrish, that's only one player Hawthorne really have to sit on uh, in terms of being that burst explosive midfielder. So with two in there, they've got two avenues that they're concerned about and they're reacting to there. So that's my major reason there. I think, as I said, I think Setterfield will be there as that general defensive Midfielder, and as you sort of pointed out, when it came to Connor Nash, there Setterfield sides is going to be important coming up against him. I think though that the potential swap there is if they decided they wanted to have a hard run with role with Newcomb. In that situation, I'd be swapping Setterfield out for for Caldwell to play that role as in terms of the first rotation midfielder. Obviously, players like Caldwell and Merritt are going to run through the centre bounces, maybe even you know a stringer um, or you know, as, as you're quite excited to talk about, maybe potentially even Nick Martin getting in there and, and having a few cracks at the clearance there. I think in terms of the first rotation, having those two dominant centre clearance players is going to cause Hawthorne a lot more headaches. And again, we should be trying to really push our strengths in that scenario. And obviously Durham and, and Martin on the wings, we've both been big Cox fans on the wing, but obviously he's injured and we're not going to see that. So we Durham and Martin have been the two best performed in the preseason. I, I'm still really being a length for the win, wing based on what he's done in 2020 and for most of 2021. But obviously, he's, he's come back from injury and, and Martin of Durham have left him there. So that's where I sit in terms of the midfield. You uh, you probably won't notice it because I oh know Hume will do a good uh, job of editing it out, but Hume just lost his train of thought there because he said big cocks and the inner child of him couldn't stop um, laughing. So, uh, yeah, very amusing from where I was sitting. But, yeah, no, it's a it's a fair point, mate. And I, I think what's interesting in our approaches here, and, and obviously we'll get a chance to look at, uh, at us play a couple of practice matches, and I'm also equally as keen to, to watch Hawthorne play their, their first or their two trial games as well. And that'll, you know, fill us in a little bit on, on how each side's going to go about things. But... We'll touch on it when we talk about the forward line, but we both left Zach Merritt, who we just pumped up earlier about how wonderful he is. We, we've both left him out of our starting midfield. But as we as we all know, that you know who starts there doesn't matter all that much. The the rotations happen thick and fast. Uh, onto the the forward line, this is the part of the ground that I struggled with the most, and and this is the one where I have gone equal in my. Uh, in your approach of just picking what I think is our our best team and how I want us to go about the footy, but there's also a little blend of of I think needing to stop the part or 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 counteract what I think is the best uh, part of Hawthorne's setup and and their side. So uh, you know they have some real weapons back there. Sicily's a, a really great interceptor and and distributor. He, he was obviously announced their captain today. Uh, Scrimshaw had a pretty good 
season in 2022 and has some of those similar in, in, uh, attributes as well. Um, then they've got CJ and Will Day back there. I'm not sure if there's been a, a, a change in role for Will Day. He's someone that that can probably move into a wing and and through the midfield. But you know, if they're back there, they've they've both got some class and 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 obviously in CJ's case, a lot of run in, in how they go about things. And then. Granger Barras is a really talented young key defender and Sam Frost is a, you know, he's a pretty honest citizen. I guess there's a little bit of um, James Stewart about the way he goes about things, but, you know, he he can do a job. So I've picked five genuine forwards in my starting six and and um, I've got some forward options on my, on my bench as well. I've got a, a midfielder on my half forward line who's, you know, that seventh forward, albeit I've got him picked to start on the ground. I, I think it's important that we keep, all of Hawthorne's back six occupied. So not just for round one, but throughout the season, I want to see as many genuine goal threats as we can. And if we look at the best sides in the, you know, the top four of the last couple of years, they've had five, six, seven, eight options who at any point in time can really hit the scoreboard and they can rotate them through their forward line. So with that in mind, mate, I'm, I'm bringing back Waller to start round one. Uh, If I'm, Sam Mitchell, I'd rather have an Essendon team with no Waller than a, a team with an 80%, 80% fit Waller. So, you know, it sounds like he's getting fitter and fitter every week and, and he's building closer to 100 by round one. He's got class and skill and ability. He hasn't lost his natural football now. So I, I don't think you, I don't think we need to bring him back through the VFL, assuming that his, his mind is, is right to go and, and he feels like he's ready to step up and play. I'm picking him. I've picked Jai Menzi to partner him. I just can't be help help but be impressed with his work rate and what I've seen with him throughout the preseason. I think he's just going to take the chance to be an AFL footballer and, and throw the kitchen sink at it. The one thing that I've liked about his game and the bits that I've seen through preseason and you know the videos that, that the likes of Rick and Charlie have shared on Twitter is he's a lot better in the air than I realised that he was. And I think that gives us something in a small forward that we haven't had in a long time in, in that he can win the ball at ground level, but also, you know, mark overhead. And, and that's a, a really important dynamic for us. Peter Wright obviously picks himself. I've gone with Harry Jones as his key forward partner at the moment. Uh, I didn't have him in, in December because I didn't think he'd be anywhere near it, but it sounds like his fitness is getting better and better. And, and he's been doing a lot behind closed doors to really build his, his tank, even though he couldn't get on the training track. So I think his talent speaks for itself, at least to me. And, and I'm expecting based on what we've seen and heard in the last week that he's on track to, to play round one. And then I've got Jake Stringer as my medium forward. Uh, and, you know, again, I didn't have him in, in December, but it sounds like he's going to be ready to go. Um, I've only got the room for the one medium forward in my side, at, at least, you know, that that mix of two um, key forwards on the ground, one medium and then three smalls. I, I think it's important for balance that we don't go too tall and, and we don't go too immobile. Um, so, yeah, Stringer gets the nod there, um, which means I've left, Langford and Perkins out of my forward line. And in Langford's case, I've actually left him out of the side altogether. We'll talk touch on that a little bit later. But, you know, again, this is about getting a side that's got balance. It's about, you know, what we can do in in round one in, in beating Hawthorne. And, you know, I've gone uh, stringer to play, you know, 90% uh, as a forward, very little midfield time and, and be that real dangerous deep goal kicker. And then to round it off, I've got Zach as my Zach Merritt as my six forward starting on a half forward flank. We saw against the Swans the threat that he can pose forward of the ball and his defensive efforts are, are always been a big part of his game, especially when he's on song. So he'll play midfield time and you know I'm going to rotate him through there pretty regularly. But I think we'll you know, with the midfield depth, it's only good to us if we actually use it. And that means we're going to have to have a, a, a midfielder uh, rotate through half forward as well as through the bench. So it'll be Zach at times, it'll be Parrish, it'll be Shield, um, you know, rotating through there. So, um, so yeah, that's my front six, mate. Menzi, Jones, Merritt, Waller, Wright and Stringer. You've got a couple of differences. Talk me, talk me through yours. Yeah, so one of them is much of a muchness in that I have Wiedemann starting on the ground uh, rather than Jones. Uh, I've got Jones on the bench and obviously they'll they'll rotate through that forward line there. And the other one I've got is Perkins on the ground uh, instead of McDonald, Tip and Woody, who I've got on the bench. Although you've made a persuasive argument for why uh, Tip and Woody should start on the ground as opposed to Perkins. But I really like Perkins' creativity. I like his vision. And the big thing, as everyone knows, is his hips don't lie. And the fact that he can wear tackles and 
release the ball. I think it's going to be really valuable against a team that's probably going to be looking to, you know, put on a lot of pressure to try and restrict our opportunities. The fact that he can either break tackles or get his hands free uh, with his hips in, in a tackle means that he's going to be creating a lot more opportunities for us going forward. Yeah, I, it was a hard one for me to leave Archie Perkins out because I'm, I'm, yeah, for all the reasons that you said, he, he could easily get a game, but it was just that ground level and that balance for me that, that swayed me. Last but not least, uh, onto the bench. So I've got Parrish staying there, but, you know, starting there, I should say, but it, it could have been Zach, it could have been Caldwell, it could have been Setterfield. You know, the, he's a midfielder and, and they'll rotate pretty quickly. Uh, I, I just think that uh, that duo of him and or trio really of him, Caldwell, Setterfield rotating as that contested ball winner, I think gives us a real strength. I'm picking Alan Davy Jr. to debut. I, I want his pace. I want his energy. I, I want to make sure that we've got two genuine small forwards on the ground at all times. So you know, if if um, Menzi and and Waller come off for and or Waller come off for a rest, it means that we've got someone you know pretty much like for like who can who can come onto the ground and make sure that we don't lose anything with that you know forward pressure and goal kicking ability and you know playing debuting you know, on the big stage against an arch rival at the MCG, uh, I, you know, I just think he he can give us something and, and really bring some energy to the team and, and to the club. And, um, I, you know, from everything I've seen of him, I think he's ready and and, and he's going to be up for it. I, I think despite his lack of size, he makes up for it with guile and agility and skill. Uh, it does mean I've left Guelphie out with that concern over his calf. I, I think if Guelphie had been fit, it would have been him over, over Junior. But uh, I've gone that way based on where things are at at the moment. Wiedemann starts on the bench. I picked him as my second ruck. Uh, and and I've gone with him rather than picking Phillips or Brian because I, I do want a genuine second forward when Wright or Jones come off for a rest. Uh, I, my concern in a in a game plan where we're going to be looking for repeat entries does mean that we're going to have to dump kick the ball in more often than we've seen in the past. We'll be less careful going inside 50 than we were in 2022. And if we don't have those two key pillars up there at any given time, it does mean that Sicily can really get back and intercept and, and set set them up going the other way. So that was my thinking there. And then Dyson Heppel rounds out my bench. He's my seventh defender and third winger, um, albeit I, I do see that our mids, you know, again, the likes of Zach and, and Parrish will probably spend some time rotating through a wing. But... Uh, yeah, I, I think look, everyone's going to have their opinion on where Dyson was as, as a footballer in 2022. I see it a bit differently to a lot of others, and and that's footy. We all we all do see it differently, but I still think he's got a lot to offer. I still think he reads the game well. I think he's a quality interceptor, and as you said right at the start, his his fitness seems to be better off the back of having had a full preseason. So. Uh, I think his experience coming off the bench and and being a big part of our rotations could be important. And then last but not least, Perkins is my sub. He can play forward or midfield. Uh, there's enough flexibility in the 22 that if a defender was to go down, we could move the likes of Wiedemann or Heppel back into that back six and, you know, among some others, and, and I think we'd be okay. Uh, but he can obviously add something really dynamic coming on as a tactical sub as well if we needed a, another forward option or we needed another midfield option to, to really give us a, a point of difference. So, uh, so yeah, that's me, mate. Uh, talk me through your bench. I guess there's a couple of r- really big differences that stand out. Yeah, so I think we've already sort of talked about Caldwell and Jones throughout the episode tonight. So they're they're starting my bench and obviously rotating through the the bench and I'm oh, sorry, rotating through the forward line and the midfield, obviously with Jones and Caldwell there. Uh, while I wasn't in my side up until the past week, uh, but everything we've heard says that his progress is moving at an increasing pace to the point where that he's probably at the moment touch and go for round one. And if he continues to improve at the rate he is, then I, as you sort of said, an 80% Anthony McDonald to Woody is better than any anyone else that we've got on our list and would be causing the most concerns for Sam Mitchell in the Hawthorne side. Um, if he doesn't make it, then this spot goes to Alwyn Davy Jr. As, as you've got him there. I think the big difference is is Langford. Uh, saw on Twitter today a, a few people talking about not having him in their side, and I think the, the thing is people forget how good a role he was playing in 2020 and 2021, particularly as a wingman. He had pretty high finishes in in the best and fairest in both of those years, um, in, in especially in terms of points he uh, votes he earned per game. Uh, obviously, the injuries of the past year have cost him a bit, and which is why Durham have, and Martin have jumped him. I just think 
that he offers a lot, both as a winger and as a forward, as a creative forward. We saw in the Brisbane game, for example, how damaging he can be and how he's really good at finding space in that forward line. I think just reflecting on my team as a whole, I think the biggest weakness I have at the moment is the lack of a seventh defender. And that would then require players like Durham and Setterfield to potentially play off that half back line, which maybe is why my sub, which is going to be Dyson Heppel, potentially does come on and then you swap him for Langford as the sub. I've got Heppel as a sub. He's just flexible in that wing half back role and you can rotate others around him. But now that I've sort of talked it out and thought about it, it may be the length and moves to that sub position and Heppel comes on so that we've got a seventh defender rotating through that line uh, throughout the entirety of the game rather than subbing someone on at halftime. Yeah, it's a, it was a really tricky one for me leaving Langford out. When when I first did it, I had him as that medium forward because I didn't think Stringer would play. Then when it looked like Stringer was going to play, well, when I picked Stringer, I, I moved Langford to the wing. I took Durham out. Is it, you know, I think Durham still has a, a fair bit of development to do Um as a winger, but he has, you know, sort of had a really strong preseason and sounds like his trial game yesterday or or match sim yesterday was a really strong one. So that kind of won me over a little bit. Maybe I've, I've been sucked in by by the club's PR a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, I, I guess it, it's a, a nice problem to have that we're talking about leaving the likes of Langford, you know, Guelphie, albeit he's got the injury concern and, and – um, and Kelly out of the side. Uh, we're starting if if the the list can stay healthy to get some depth. And and you know we haven't talked about Will Snelling, who came third in the best and fairest in 2021. Neither of us have really considered him for a spot in the side. And and you know there's a, a few others that that you know we we could have looked at as well. So uh, you know I think it's a nice problem to have, and, and everyone's going to have their view. And um, yeah, this has been a, a pretty. A pretty good exercise. It'll be interesting to see how it, it unfolds over the the rest of the preseason. Yeah, and I think probably the other one that stands out as not being in the side is Ben Hobbs. Obviously, he's had a bit of injury concern, but I still don't necessarily think that means he's out of the running for round one. I just think that with the amount of midfielders that seem to be fit and ready to go, that there's just not quite a spot for him at this stage. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think we've talked about in the past the importance of having a strong VFL side with players really pushing for selection. If that if the side being fit means that Hop starts in the VFL and can put a lot of pressure on players like Cordwell and Parrish to fulfil their roles, uh, based on what Brad Scott has said about people needing to play their role to be picked in the first 22, having a player like Hobbs running around the VFL, you know, we know he puts in a lot of effort. We know he, he plays a real team-first role doing that sort of thing means that those players are going to be on notice that if they're not fulfilling their role in the AFL side, there's going to be someone available to come in and replace them. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Depth wins flags. Not not that we're a contender just yet, but it's all building blocks towards, uh, you know, getting back up towards the top of the ladder. So, yeah, spot on. Yeah, and I guess, look, just before we start to wrap up the show, we've obviously got the Gold Coast practice game coming up next week. You know, you're not. We're not really going to sit down and do a, a preview for a, a practice game that may be over six quarters and involve you know half a dozen VFL players running through the side as well. Well, I guess what are you looking for in that Gold Coast practice game? Yeah, I think my my biggest concern, um, as as you know, and I've mentioned, my my brother lives up on the Gold Coast with my three young nephews. The the youngest of which is he turns four in April. He's he's an Essendon fan. He, he wears his Don's hat to to Kinder all the time, and and you know talks about the Bombers non-stop, but Marbiol Chol is his favourite footballer. So I'm a little bit worried they're going along to the game. I'm a bit worried that he might be a Marbiol Chol high five away from from maybe switching and and having to change his surname and being disowned by the family. But, um, but yeah, it, it'll be good for, yeah, I'm excited for my nephews that they get a chance to see their beloved Bombers up close and, uh, and that'll be great. But yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing some footy, mate. Uh, you know, all the footage we get to see of preseason is amazing, but it, it all changes when you actually get to see them play against an opposition and, and kick the ball around, albeit in a modified format of six quarters or six sixth. Um, and uh, you mentioned just before we went on air that KO have announced, I think, that they're going to to show it. So we'll get a chance to watch it, which will be good. And yeah, I'll, I'll be keeping an eye out for for some of our young players and the new guys to the club to to see how they go about their things. Yeah, and I think also seeing some where. Brad Scott sees some players in terms of their role. I think there's a a few question marks regarding that, and we'll get our first look at that in the coming week. 
Well, look, that sort of ends the main part of the show. We've just got obviously got a few things to to talk about before we say goodnight for the evening. Uh, firstly, thanks to our new patron, John Verpaletti. I believe he currently lives in Hungary because the initial payment came through in Hungarian currency and it's been changed to Australian dollars. So thanks for your support, John. Secondly, earlier in the week, I started a pick the season competition. Basically what I'm asking Essendon fans to do is to pick the result for every Essendon game this season ahead of time. It's just done through a Google form that you can find in the episode description. It should be a lot of fun to see how the prediction's going. I, I know, currently note that no one has picked Essendon to lose to Hawthorne, which means a lot of people could be down uh, their first life uh, after round one if things don't go our way. Uh, but the price of that is one of our new hoodies. And uh, while you were having access to Twitter, you were starting to post some of the merch that you've spent a lot of time designing. What sort of things have you put together and available for purchase there? Yeah, well, I think the biggest surprise that's come since starting Don the Start has been that people have purchased our T-shirts, which is which is pretty wild. But, uh, yeah, you, you started as a bit of a reaction to the Wednesday wallpaper that the clubs put out last year or, or Essendon put out last year and and there was a big negative reaction when they did it after a loss. You started to do uh, your own version of it, which you called Wednesday wallpaper, uh, as a, a little bit of a, a, a piss take, I guess, and and you, you did those uh, using MS Paint. Uh, you went real old school. Um which was which is pretty funny, and uh, I whacked them on some t-shirts and, and put them up on our Redbubble store, which you can find on Redbubble. Uh, just searched on the stat, and they'll come up. Um, uh, yeah, there's a great one of of Sammy Draper's goal against Gold Coast. There's uh, there's Mason Redmond doing his Red Dog um, the goal celebration, and then there's also another one of Mason Redmond tackling uh, Ginevan for the pies, but you've turned him into a duck, which, uh, is pretty funny. And, um, yeah, it'd be pretty amazing to see a couple of those floating around on Anzac day. So yeah, they're there. Uh, look, it's just a, a little bit of fun. We, we take our footy seriously, which I think most people will realize, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So yeah, it's a bit of fun. And, and if you like it, um, yeah, let us know. Um, That'd be great. There's also some stickers and some badges up there. We, you know, we just, again, tried to have some fun out of it. Um, and, you know, get some, interesting Don stuff out in the market to, to have a look at and create a bit of interest. So, yeah. And we've also started a Facebook page, which, you know, in case Twitter does ever shut down permanently and, and you want to know how to find us, you can find us on Facebook under Don the Stat. It's just a page, um, you know, but we don't intend to, to turn it into a community or, or a group or anything for discussion at this stage. We'll keep using Twitter as our, our primary way of doing that. But uh, yeah, it's on there if you want to give it a, a like or a follow. Uh, and yeah, I think that's pretty much it, mate. We've got a we'll we'll do a next episode just sort of next week talking, you know, post the Gold Coast game, just just with a little bit of a review of, of the things that we've taken out of that. And yeah, otherwise I'll be uh I'll be back on Twitter tonight. Um there's a few Carlton fans and North fans I need to catch up with just to uh to restir the pot. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. It's gonna be some good reading tonight. Uh just on those those three things we just talked about, the pick the season competition, uh, some of the merch and the link and the Facebook page. I'll have links in the description. But other than that, really good chatting to you tonight. It's a really good way to end the week, I think. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Good chatting to you too. Good to talk about footy again. We're getting close. It's it's getting exciting. There's we had a we've got a lot of questions still to be answered, but I feel like we're starting to to answer a few of them uh, just through, you know, what we're seeing unfold through pre-season. So, yeah, I think we're we're going to be in for an exciting year of footy and, and you know, Essendon heading in a new direction, which will be great. So I'm looking forward to it, mate. It's been great to chat to you as always. Absolutely, mate. Thanks. Go Dons. Go Dons.